I remember someone a few years ago telling me a story about Father Athanasius that they were driving along the road and then suddenly they came to a red signal uh, stop. And who was on the other side of the road? It was Father Athanasius stopping at the red light. And what did he have in his hand? <laughs> he had a book <laughs> and it was open and he was reading the book <laughs> while there was a red light. I do not condone this behavior. <laughs> and I don't advise people to do that because it is a distraction. But I guess the moral of the story it just shows he how he did not want to, you know, spare one single moment without reading. And I know how many hours that he reads every single day. And uh, it shows in his sermons, in his lectures. Welcome to Coffee with Bishop Suriel, a podcast for all things Coptic. This is a conversation about authentic Christian faith, Coptic history, patristic writings, the family, arts and music, religious education, youth matters, evangelism, and much more. Bishop Suriel likes his coffee like he likes his conversation, light, sweet, and scorching. We'll be joined by an array of guests who'll share their experiences, their backgrounds, and their insights to bring about an exciting discussion, and we hope you agree. Enjoy the podcast, and please welcome our host, Bishop Suriel. As we're joined by Phoebe Farag Mikhail, the author of Putting Joy into Practice, Seven Ways to Lift Your Spirit from the Early Church, this will be part two of our two-part series titled Joy in Times of Suffering. Here's His Grace and our special guest, Your Grace. Irini Pasi, peace be with you. Welcome back to our two-part series on Joy in Times of Suffering, and we're discussing this beautiful book about putting joy into practice. And in part one last week, Phoebe introduced us to the concept of joy, and that joy does not equate to happiness nor pleasure, and that joy is something which is intangible. It is not something physical. You can't touch joy but you can feel its sweetness that pours into everything. Welcome back, Phoebe, and it is great to have you join us again. It's good to see your grace again. Thank you. And so we want to con continue our discussion. And so I would like to ask you, in the centerpiece of your book, we come across seven practical steps towards attaining joy, namely, one, praying the hours or the agbeya, Two, visiting the sick. Three, the joy of repentance. Four, giving thanks. Five, hospitality. Six, arrow prayers. And seven, singing praise to God. And we have a question about some of these practices from Franchella Brown in the Toronto area in Canada. And we will call her now. Hello. Hello, Francella. Lovely to have you with us. We have with us Francella Brown all the way from Toronto area in Canada. It's a delight to have Hello. you with us. Oh, thank you so much, Sam. 
good night. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's a great honor. Thank you. And thank you for making the time uh, today. And uh, I believe you have an important question for Phoebe uh, about these seven practices. So please go ahead. I do. Well, um, hello, Phoebe. How are you, Tony? <laughs> Hi, Francella. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thank God. Um, good I really appreciate uh, like the opportunity to ask this question um, because it kind of revolves around um, having a sense of purpose. And I just wanted to know how that ties in with, uh, you know, joy um, during difficult times. So here's my question. So to give you a little bit of background, I, just as everybody else, um, you know, it's been like, you know, a, a year like of such abrupt kind of, you know, change, stop in all of our, our, um, you know, our activities and our day to day and then such an abrupt change. Um, and, and like for myself, you know, I have, I really thrive off of having things, um, to do that are very meaningful and that gives me a sense of purpose. Um, so, you know, earlier in the year I've been, I was in school, you know, um, going towards working towards my, um, my undergrad in psychology, right? And obviously there's, um, that's a means to an end. Um, I have my, my job, I work in the university and I serve others in the library. Um, I have my ministry work as well, where I can give spiritual talks. And, and then of course, you know, come end of March, COVID hits and it's just like everything just kind of ends. And mm -hmm. I found that I was becoming rather sad. Um, you know, as I'm sure everyone else experienced, just kind of sitting around and not really having anything to do. And, um, and I took it to prayer. Um, and you know, it's like, God, you know, like, okay, everyone is feeling this way. Why am I like, why am I feeling so sad? Why am I not just kind of enjoying having this time off? Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought that the Lord was speaking to me and, and he was saying, you know, all of these things that you were doing that were keeping you you know, busy and productive gave you a sense of purpose, but you're lacking a sense of purpose now. And that's where, um, you're losing your joy. Um, so, and on top of that, you know, like I need to have a very consistent schedule just because, you know, of my, I have a diagnosable, you know, mental illness with bipolar and depression. And I just need to make sure that my activities are constant and on even kale and stuff like that. So, um, I was just wondering um, if in your book, which I haven't read, forgive me, um, if there are some practices um, in, in, in your book that kind of help us um, have a sense of, of purpose and if that can, like, you know, um, rekindle the joy that I have um, to offset any kind of feelings of sadness and stuff. Oh, yes, uh, definitely. Um, and I, I definitely hear you. Um, in that uh, sentiment that you that you you expressed about just feeling everything stopping and then feeling like you are you've kind of lost your sense of purpose and what you're supposed to do and I in the last episode I even mentioned something similar where I I was I was quite busy but at the same time felt really this urge that I wanted to help to do something and to help you know um, and so um, in the book one of the practices I mention is visiting the sick um, and. When I talk about visiting the sick, um, 
I talk about it in terms in the context of Matthew 25 as one of the many acts of mercy that Christ mentions in Matthew 25, where he says, you know, I was hungry and you gave me food and I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. And um, actually, an interesting time in my life that uh, that's quite similar to the experience you're describing now is when I um, when I became a parent and what, you know, uh, as, as, uh, Sayedna mentioned in the bio, you know, I had a very jet setting, you know, very busy, uh, international development career prior to becoming a parent. And while I still maintain that career as a consultant, um, when I first time motherhood was like a, a kind of a, uh, like a, a hard break on a lot of that activity. And a lot of that activity had been giving me a sense of purpose because it was working with the poor, in, uh, um, you know, where they are, right, working in, in, uh, in impoverished communities and helping them to, uh, to build themselves and strengthening those communities, right, working with vulnerable mm-hmm. people, working with marginalized community, helping them uh, to know their rights and to, um, to, uh, to fight for them. And so here I was instead at home by myself for a long time with a newborn and um, wondering how am I going to go and feed the hungry, you know, I live in the suburbs now, I open my door and I see deer. (laughs) I don't see, uh, I don't see homeless, right? I don't see, you know, the only hungry person, only hungry people are my kids, my children. (laughs) And, uh, and so how do I, how do I do this? How do I do what Christ asked us to do? Feed the hungry. And so going back to that, I recognize that it doesn't matter where I am. I may not see homeless people. I may not see hungry people. Um, but I will always know somebody sick. And I think that's the case whether you're in Mumbai or you're in Beverly Hills. You will always know somebody sick. Whether the sickness is like a chronic illness or a terminal illness, somebody who's elderly and homebound um, or in a rehab or a nursing home, um, uh, somebody who's suffering from uh, a mental illness um, and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, m- many mental illnesses and chronic illnesses, people kind of get tired of, they get afraid that people will get tired of them talking about it, but it's ongoing and it's hard and it's hard to live with that on your own, right? Um, you know, and there are people that are heart sick, for example, people who are grieving the loss of a loved one. Um, those are, those are also people that could be visited. And so the practice of visiting the sick became this one universal practice that no matter where we are, we could do. And even during this time where it's it's still in some places very hard to go visit the sick, you know, we mentioned in the previous episode about, you know, the time in March and April where we physically couldn't go to a hospital and visit a sick person, right? We physically couldn't even go to somebody's house. And thankfully we're opening up a little bit and we're able to do that for the most part, um, you know, unless, you know, unless that person is contagious or, um, uh, but, uh, you know, otherwise we're, we're able to do that a little bit, but even during the lockdown, there were ways in which, um, we could visit the sick, um, even if we couldn't physically go into, you know, the place where they are. And those things included, for example, one of the most beautiful things I witnessed were so many people at our church calling Abuna to ask him, 
who are give tell us who the elderly people are that can't leave their homes tell us who's sick and can't leave their homes give us their shopping lists and we will go and shop for them and the number of people who asked abuna to serve in this way exceeded the number of <laughs> the number of elderly and sick that he had <laughs> um and it was just a, you know it was it was beautiful just to see that uh that love being expressed in that way and that was a way actually for people to have a sense of purpose right to be able to go out and do something similarly um people who were sick with covid and were so sick that you know they weren't necessarily in the hospital but they were home and they couldn't cook for themselves for example there were people who made them home cook meals and they couldn't go inside their house but they could drop them off at the door um and in a way that's a visitation right um in normal times when we can visit and spend time together visiting the sick is a gift that um you know regardless of how pleasant the visit is sometimes the visit is very pleasant for example um you know said the mention in the previous episode about how on the feasts we would take our children to visit people um who are sick and you know people who are homebound um you know and uh people who are in the nursing homes and you know they would love to see that they love to see the children right because they don't get to see children that often and then they see the children you know jumping about and happy and you know they love uh seeing that and that lifts their spirits and also the time uh just the time because you know we you can have all the money in the world but every one of us has the same amount of time and time is actually more valuable than money so when we take something out of our very packed and busy schedules and spend that time instead being present with somebody sick is a beautiful gift that gives right back to us because as Christ said when you visit a sick person you're visiting me right yeah. you're visiting him um and so you know this uh, in one way to uh, to kind of put this into practice one way i suggested in the book for example is to talk to your abuna and ask abuna is there somebody who's homebound that maybe i could um visit maybe once a week or once a month even right um and find out who they are and abuna probably has a list because he's giving them communion you know in their homes if they can't because they can't leave in their homes or in their um you know in the um uh in their nursing homes or rehab centers and that's uh that's one way to uh to kind of live that sense of purpose and ve- have that sense of purpose in a very personal way um and like i said you know it's that beautiful cycle you you go giving and you end up receiving because you have visited christ even if the um the visit itself may not may sometimes the visits are pleasant sometimes they're not mm. you know um sometimes the person might be really physically suffering right and there's very little you can do to alleviate that except pray for them maybe you know read with them to help them take their minds off the pain um or maybe they're even angry maybe they're angry at god and you know and it's not our place to talk them you know we're not there to preach to a person in that state what we can do is listen just listen and pray for them while we're listening maybe pray our prayers while we're listening um and just be that listening ear because sometimes that's really what's needed is somebody there to listen and then to just uh pray for them and so it may not be be exactly pleasant at that time um but we've still visited Christ you know and so that um doing something like that you know no matter where you are it can give you such a great sense of uh a sense of purpose and you know as we the 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 practices in the book are they kind of vacillate between inner life you know like prayer our prayers uh praying the hours and things we do in the community 
the acts of mercy mentioned in Matthew 25, visiting the sick, hospitality. Um, these are things, there are things that we do on our own and things that we do together. And it's, is, is in both of those that we get to experience, uh, joy. You know, we, we may receive God's love in, in our prayers and then we are so filled with them that we can't help but give. And then when we give, we discover that in giving, we've also been receiving. Yeah. And, and so it's just, uh. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think, you know, you make a very valid point here, Phoebe, that this is really the crux of the matter, that in giving, you're the, actually the, the person that is receiving more than actually mm -hmm. giving. So, mm -hmm. uh, Francella, it's lovely to have you with us, and I hope that this advice that Phoebe has given, uh, you find it of benefit to you. Thank you. It really does help so much because... Um, I, and what you said really resonates that there's always someone around you who is sick. There's always someone who is in need. Um, and you really don't have to go very far. And, um, and the Lord will um, put somebody on, on our hearts. So um, I really, really appreciate that. Thank you. The, the purpose of um, uh, the sense of purpose that I have something to give um, and that, you know, I'm, I'm visiting Christ, but also that I can bring Christ to someone as well. So thank you so much for answering my question. Thank you. You're most welcome. And uh, that was Franchella Brown all the way from Vancouver in, uh, sorry, from Toronto, around Toronto in Canada. I'm wondering, is it starting to get cold there yet, uh, Franchella? A little bit early. <laughs> We're starting to feel the fall a little bit early. I think it's not typical. So, um, but it's 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 that nice transition where it's really hot in the day and then a little bit chilly at night. Right. Um, but uh, no snow, so don't worry. We don't have any snow yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, enjoy the <laughs> enjoy the good weather while it lasts. <laughs> thank you, Sayyidna. Thank you, Sony. God bless you. Thank you. God thank bless. Bye-bye. <laughs> That's so typical of 2020, huh? An early winter. <laughs> yes. So, um, Nothing is normal this year. <laughs> no, it's been a strange year in so many ways. Yeah. So um, we don't want to give the whole book away. And we have already spoken about praying the Psalms, hospitality, and visiting the sick. But perhaps you could speak about how giving thanks brings joy. Yes. Well, the first thing we need to address when we talk about giving thanks is that there's a difference between um, what we sometimes call giving thanks that's actually more like counting our blessings um, and the actual act of giving thanks. And so, you know, we're, it's very common for us. In fact, sometimes in Sunday school, you know, when you ask little kids to pray, they'll say, thank you, God, for my food and my toys, right? <laughs> and my house and, my, you know, my, my family, right? And um, these are all good things to thank God for. Um, and, but it's very common to kind of stop at that or only look at what are material, material or temporal blessings. Um, and... Yet, the call to thanksgiving is a call to be thankful, as we say in the Thanksgiving prayer in the Coptic Orthodox Church, in any condition, in every condition, and whatever condition. And that giving thanks is the giving thanks that gives us joy, because we can be thankful for these material things, for example, um, and then what happens if we don't have them? 
what happens if we lose everything, for example, in, um, in an explosion like what happened in Lebanon, right? How can we be thankful in those, um, in those situations, you know? And, um, and uh, so in the, when I talk about giving thanks in that uh, section of the book, in that practice, uh, in difficult times, we might not have any blessings to count, but we can always give thanks because there are some things we will always have, no matter what our condition. Number one, we will always have God. We'll have his gift of creation. And most of all, we have God's love and his salvation. None of these can be taken away from us. And we can always thank him for these things. And so, you know, earlier um, in the previous episode, we talked about the, the explosion in, um, in Lebanon. And, you know, in a situation like that, you know, God's promise was never that we would avoid suffering. Mm. Um, his promise was that he would be with us. Yeah. in that suffering. And so, you know, in d- disasters, in situations of suffering like this, we're not going to pretend to be happy during these disasters. But we as Christians, we know that death is not the end for us. In fact, we have joy because the great end, the, because death was conquered by Christ. So, um, you know, we should mourn with those who mourn and help those who need help when we can and pray for them. Um, and even... Get, going, going, give thanks. And in this case, what are we thankful for? One, one thing that's, um, that's important to note is that in Christianity, the greatest act of Christian worship is the Eucharist. And the word Eucharist itself means to give thanks, means giving thanks. So the greatest, act, most important act of Christian worship is an act of thanksgiving. And in the Eucharist, we literally commune with God. Right. As it says in Psalm sixteen seventeen, which is a verse I love to quote, it's like, <laughs> in your presence is fullness of joy. Mm. And how much are we in his presence when we are in the, in the divine liturgy and partaking of yeah. the, the body and blood of Christ? And one thing to notice is Christ, on the night before he was crucified, the first thing he did when he instituted Holy Communion in the Last Supper the first thing he did was, as we say in the liturgy, he gave thanks. And so, you know, and so here we are, the first thing he did, the night before his crucifixion, you know, at the time of the giving up of himself, he gave thanks. <sighs> that that yeah. just blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's very beautiful when we remember the importance mm-hmm. of giving thanks And even in the time of tribulation, when we are really feeling down, we have to understand that the Lord, as you said, has not abandoned us. It reminds me of the beautiful story of footprints in the sand. Mm -hmm. When uh, this young person was looking at his life and seeing that, you know, the Lord was walking beside him and he could see two footprints. And then when he was going through uh, difficult tribulations and he could only see one set of footprints in, in the sand and then the Lord says to him my dear son it was then that I carried you. So mm-hmm. the Lord carries us through all of the difficulties and the tribulations and it's mm-hmm. actually something that gives us a lot of peace to always raise thanks to the Lord and as you mentioned the ultimate is in the Eucharist and in the participating of the body and blood of Christ that he unites with us 
uh, and uh, we unite with him. So thank you for all of this uh, wonderful discussion about joy. Uh, it's really been very fascinating, and I really hope uh, that people are going to pick up this book um, uh, and read it and really benefit from it. It's not you know, a very long book, uh, but it's a, a very powerful book about this important topic of putting joy into practice, about 175 pages. And so my next question to you, Phoebe, is about what book or books have you gifted the most uh, to other people? Okay, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> so besides my own book, um, I've either gifted or highly recommended, of course, The Life of Repentance and Purity by His Holiness Pope Shenouda. Um, another book, actually, that uh, that I've meant that I've recommended. Can you also tell us why? Oh, why yes. why um, you recommend these particular books? <laughs> oh yes, how many hours do you have? <laughs> no, no, just briefly. <laughs> so, of course, the life of repentance and purity um, is. I, I mean, it is the most complete um, book there is about. Uh, about living a life of repentance and just even the title itself says so that life repentance is not a, like a one-time act it is an ongoing thing that we do in our lives to return our lives toward god um and that you know as i said that was where i met you know i oh, thank you you have the book uh, thank you. i don't have my copy <laughs> yes. i gave i gave my copy away i have to get another one now i can um, send you one <laughs> <laughs> no i do have one that your grace signed actually that one i did not give away <laughs> um and, uh, you know, so it's, you know, that was actually where I started with the whole idea of joy, because His Holiness in the book talks about repentance as joy. Um, and, it, and you know, it is is one of those counterintuitive things, because you think of repentance as weeping and crying for your sins, when actually, no, repentance is about turning back to God and being embraced in His loving arms, Um and so yes. that book is all about uh, about how to do that. And, you know, I mentioned, you know, when we talk about the joy thieves and the little foxes, Sayedna has a whole chapter on mm. the little foxes oh, in yes. there. I remember yeah. it well. <laughs> mm -hmm. What so, other um, books? Yeah. What other books? Yes. So The Desert Fathers and Mothers, this book by Tamav Louise Farag. Oh, yes. It's called Balance of the Heart. Uh, and I can't see, can't tell if it's in the screen. There it is. Um, this is a beautiful overview of monasticism. Written by a monastic, yes, you know, and so um, and uh, it covers, and the scholar uh, at the same time. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, and it just covers uh, anyone who wants to start with the desert fathers and mothers. I actually point them to this book and the sayings of the desert fathers um, by Sister Benedict Ward, the the collection. Uh, yes. But I think your grace actually mentioned in an episode another a couple of new of uh, collections as well that are uh, yes. um, that are this great. One, the one. <laughs> yeah, give me a word. Yes, um, yes and there's this the anonymous. One, give me sayings. a word. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and this one, which is much uh, larger volume in English and uh, uh, mm -hmm. Greek, the anonymous sayings, and it's actually now out in paperback as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, for anyone who is interested in the Coptic Church, I often recommend the Introduction to the Coptic Orthodox Church by Father Tadros Malati. Um, and it's the book is actually online available to anybody who wants it. Um, and so that's always a great overview. Um, also, uh, for the life of the world by father Alexander Schmemann, that's another book that's just filled full of joy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I love, um, I really do love that, uh, that book. Um, mother Alexandra's memoir, I live again, 
I think I might have even recommended this to you. I have it. I did actually <laughs> buy it. And uh, I think I, I have it also, also as a audio, uh, an audible podcast. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm -hmm. I did listen to it. Yes, it was a very yeah. fascinating story. Yes, and I connected with her so much. Now, obviously, you know, she's a princess. The princess part, I did not connect <laughs> so much, obviously. But the being, you know, uh, living in trying to be a mother and to main, you know, to uh, to serve in really difficult times, mm. um, and then, you know, and then to go from all of this and then eventually become a mother of a found a monastery. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's just a, the story is fascinating, and I it just is. I connected with her so much. And there's a beautiful part in it where you're talking about praying the Psalms. Mm. There's a beautiful part in the story where they're being shelled during World War II. Yes, and they're in a in a ditch, and they they pray a psalm. They pray Psalm 90, um, mm. the one about mm. the Lord. Uh, um, the uh, about taking refuge in the Lord. Yes. And the sun shall not harm you by day, nor the moon yeah. by night. They yeah. pray this song. And it know? was and also the, it was fascinating mm -hmm. to hear also how she was uh, going around, you know, trying to collect money to help people uh, that were sick in hospitals and uh, finding medications and all of this. It was it was very tough work, uh, and during a world war, it must not have been easy for her. Yes, yeah. and actually, I do believe that they're, they've come out with an uh, an ebook of more of that time period in her life, more yeah. stories from that time period. Um, so I can't wait to to pick that one up. Uh, yeah. But yes, I just I just love that. Uh, yeah, I hope you story. can send uh, a list of those books that we can put in the show notes, mm -hmm. uh, and we'll yes. put uh, um, links so if people are interested to delve deeper into some of those books. Thank you for sharing those. Yes, yes. Uh, there's a few more, actually. Okay. <laughs> um, there's, if you like uh, uh, fiction, uh, there's a book called Lights on the Mountain. I don't have a copy here, but it's by Cheryl Ann Tuggle. It's also a very beautiful book, and that's out from Paraclete Press. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a parenting memoir uh, by Sophronia Scott and her son, Tane Gregory, called This Child of Faith. Um, and that's another one of those books that, you know, really touched me because there's, you know, they go through a really difficult time because her son survived the Newtown Massacre. Oh. And it talks about having faith and having joy after something as terrible uh, as that. And being a parent of a child and raising child children um, in, uh, in, you know, in, uh, in the faith uh, and raising children in faith uh, during such a difficult time. Mm. Um, I also just finished rereading On Social Justice by St. Basil the Great. Oh, um, yes. It was perfectly relevant to the times. Um, I'm in the middle of this book, The, the Letters to uh, St. Olympia by St. John Chrysostom. Yes. Um, I'm also in the middle of A Multitude of Peoples by Dr. Vince Bantu, which is a, a great historical overview of Christianity in um uh, in in uh, in in Egypt and Africa and uh, in Persia, um, so uh, and even I haven't finished it yet, but even on the Silk Road to China, um, and uh, so that's a that's a really good book that I'm almost uh, through. And then I just finished two other novels by African writers: The Beautiful Things That Heaven Bears by an Ethiopian American author, Dinal Mengsu, and. Baking Cakes in Kigali by Gail Parkin, and she grew up in Zambia. <laughs> and with my children, we're in the middle of Painting Angels. It's a third book in the Salmon Saucer series by Melinda Johnson. 
Oh yes. Uh, yeah, it's a really it's a really great uh, book, and Melinda Johnson is Melinda Johnson is just a great author for such yes, a great author is. for children. Yes. Yeah, and then finally for little kids, I also love Philo Rose and the Joy Super Holy. Uh-huh. Of course, it's about joy. Yes. <laughs> and the, and the, <laughs> the super holies are the fruit of the spirit. And so this one is about joy is the fruit of spirit, spirit. And that is by Mary Mishriki. And she just came out with another book in the same series, Philo and the Goodness Super Holy. Oh, lovely. Uh, yeah. So uh, my question to you then, as a mother with, the, you know, uh, three children and your your husband as a priest who's probably out of the house uh, many hours of the day with his ministry, how do you find time to read? Okay, well, definitely, number one, I do read a lot with my children. Um, we read, we listen to audiobooks together, we read picture books together, um, we read even middle grade books together, and so um, I do a lot of reading with them. Um, and, uh, and then as for my own reading, I'm very... Um, you know, somebody once used the word promiscuous <laughs> with my reading. You know, as you can see, I read all kinds of genres, and I also read them in all different ways. So I will listen to audiobooks, I'll read ebooks, and I'll read paper books. Um, I um, and I'll have a book in any one of those formats that I'm in the middle of. So I'll be reading an ebook. I'm in the middle of that, like Dr. Bantu's book. That's on my. I have that on my e-reader. So I'm in the middle of that, and then I might be uh, reading like Saint John Chrysostom in, uh, you know, in a paper uh, version. Um, and then I'll have something audio when I'm able to listen to it in my car. Um, and the most important thing is to just always have something to read at hand, because it, it, despite how often we're busy, um, there are still often times where we're just waiting a lot or sitting around a lot. Um, so for example, at a doctor's office waiting room, you know, having a book in my bag or even just on the Kindle app on my phone, um, means I'll always, you know, I'll have something to, uh, to read then. Um, or even say like I'm with my kids and they're playing, you know, playing at a park or, or or just playing and I'm there to, you know, I need to be there with them, um, and supervise them, but they don't necessarily need my, you know, interaction, um, having a book with me, you know, uh, um, you know, is a great way to, to pass mm, that time. And mm. then it also, they also get to see mom reading, Yes, which is a model for them too. That was my model. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. We'll talk about yeah. that in a minute. But, yeah. uh, you know, I think the technology that's out there now and the different ways that we can either listen or read books is really great. And uh, as you said, makes it very handy for us in different situations but i don't know i i do have uh, some ebooks but i still uh, am in favor of the actual hard <clears throat> the printed copy book uh, so to speak uh, you know smelling the fresh pages you can't do that with <laughs> with an ebook i remember even when i was doing my uh, phd research that uh, uh, I had my uh, technical assistant, my graphic designer, he actually converted all of my books uh, and research papers into PDF files so I could take them with me on my laptop wherever I could go to continue my research. So obviously that's something mm-hmm. very, very mm-hmm. handy, but I don't think we'll ever replace the actual physical printed book, and I hope that never happens. I don't think it will. <laughs> no, and actually, I'm one. Of the, I often end up having both an e-copy and a hard copy yeah. of a book. 
because I'll want to refer to it um, in either uh, format. Um, But yes, I definitely, I do have to say though that I used to, when I traveled, believe it or not, one of my biggest stresses was not having enough to read. Mm. And now because I have an (laughs) e-reader with thousands of titles on it, I'll bring, you know, I'll bring my hard, couple of hard copy books and then the the e-reader. And now I'm not as stressed Yes, of course. as long as I have a charger. (laughs) (laughs) And it's good when you're on a flight and you know, you don't Mm -hmm. want to carry a a heavy bag with, you know, several books with you, then that that's ideal. So yeah. if you were able to hypothetically reach millions of people, um, say on a billboard, on a giant billboard, what message would you put on it about joy? Oh, I would say that with God, the joy that God gives us is not about cups half full or half, um, half empty, but about mm. cups overflowing. Mm. Well, I think that would be a a very powerful message and uh, Mm -hmm. people would certainly think about it. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, where did your love of books and writing stem from? And um, I can hazard a guess, (laughs) but (laughs) I will let you respond to that. before birth. (laughs) And then I will tell you a story. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So maybe before birth, it would be the answer. (laughs) Genetics, maybe. (laughs) Genetics, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, our family lived and breathed on books. Um, Many of my childhood outings were actually with my father to the bookstore. Um, He would drop me off in the children's section and he would go browse the religion section and leave me to choose a book or two. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that would be our like fun together. and uh, and those childhood books got me into reading um, some of my favorites when I was younger. Those sort of like I like, you know, how there's gateway drugs. These were the gateway books <laughs> <laughs> where um, Anne of Green Gables, the series, the Chronicles of Narnia, mm-hmm. the you know, CS, Anne of Green Gables is by Ellen Montgomery, Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, uh, the Wrinkle in Time series by Madeline Lingle. Um, those were, you know, I just, you know, once, you know, those are books that I just read and reread and they just really got me into reading more and more. Um, I also started journaling a lot, especially in my middle school and high school years. Um, it helped a lot just for me on my own to process a lot of thoughts and feelings, you know, middle school, you know, that adolescent time is always, you know, turbulent time for everyone. Um, and then I guess, uh, eventually publishing my writing stemmed from that practice of journaling a lot. Um, and deep down, I'm very much like a learner and an educator. And so writing for me now is really about sharing what I've learned with other people. Mm. Um, I I totally agree with you. And uh, I can understand where you got this love of reading from. And it's really from your amazing father, Father Athanasius Farag. I remember someone a few years ago telling me a story about Father Athanasius, that they were driving along the road and then suddenly they came to a red signal uh, stop. And who was on the other side of the road? It was Father Athanasius stopping at the red light. And what did he have in his hand? He had a book and it was open and he was reading the book while there was a red light. 
I do not <laughs> condone this behavior, <laughs> and I don't advise people to do that because it is a distraction. But I guess the moral of the story it just shows he how he did not want to, you know, spare one single moment without reading. And I know how many hours that he reads every single day, and uh, it shows in his sermons, in his lectures. Uh, in his teaching, you even see the beautiful education center that he established uh, near his parish, full of books encouraging people to read the book festival that he has around the Feast of St. Athanasius in May every year, encouraging people in the tri-state area to come find a new book, and he advises them on what great books there are to, to read. So he's an inspiration uh, to me, and I'm sure to many. So I know where, where this fervor of, uh, of book reading and loving books uh, stems from. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Do you remember the story that I mentioned? No, actually, but oh, I'm you not haven't surprised. heard it. <laughs> and I, I mean, here, you know, here's another example. All of our graduations, um, I don't think he heard any of those speeches. He was too busy reading. <laughs> I think he only looked up when they called our names. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. So um, <laughs> what were your feelings when you finally had this first published book in your hand, this very beautiful book about putting joy into practice? Uh, a relief. <laughs> it took me, um, you know, it took five years, almost five years to write it. And then it took another year or so for the whole publishing process, yes. um, you know, the whole copy editing and proofreading and uh, revising and things like that. And so um, it was definitely a relief to see it finished um, in my hands. Mm. Uh, my, I was, I was happy to see my pro my kids were also really proud <laughs> to see it. Although they had their opinions, they you know they're annoyed that I haven't written a children's book yet. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> because, sure it's you know, coming. <laughs> <laughs> they tell their friends their mom is a writer and then they say well, what did she write and then it's like oh it's a religious book <laughs> <laughs> so they keep telling me you know mama write a children's book so we can tell our friends <laughs> well, i'm sure you will one day and it will be great <laughs> god willing god willing <laughs> so are you working on any new books or a new book at the moment I have several projects I'm working on, okay. um, so please pray for me. Yes. Um, my next adult book topic um, is on wisdom. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, it's really kind of a necessary uh, topic for these times. Um, and the book, um, specifically what I'm looking at is how we can become more wise, no matter how old we are. Mm. Um, I think a lot of times we associate wisdom with being older, but I think this is something we can cultivate um, at any age and needed um, at any age. Um, so that's kind of what I'm exploring now. But I'm still in the uh, exploring and learning okay. phase. How long so. do you think it will take before we see it? Uh, I hope not five years. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I'm st it's still very early, so you know I can't really predict. Sure, um, sure. But I happen. think the people that read your first book will be eager to to hear more <laughs> from you and to see more of your wonderful writing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what is your advice then for new and aspiring Coptic writers out there? And we certainly need more in many different fields of uh, theology, history, spirituality, 
similar mm-hmm. books to what you have written and so on. There is just so much to write about. Yes, and even literature. And literature, you know, Imagination yes. and creativity mm-hmm. and poetry. Indeed. You know, yeah. And I think what I would first say is read a lot. Um, and read a lot uh, and write a lot. Um, even if just for yourself mm-hmm. for an hour, you know, and just like, for example, most of my writing early on was uh, journal writing. So it was really more for myself than for anybody else. Um, go to writing conferences or two, go to a writing conference or two. Um, you know, it's always, it's always very energizing to meet other people who are doing the same thing that you're doing and having ideas and working on improving their writing um, and find a group of people to encourage you. Um and then focus most of the time on writing before worrying about other things like publishing, I think is probably my strongest um, piece of advice because you really have to love and enjoy what you're writing for its own sake to be able to stick with it. You know, sometimes you can have an idea, but if you're really not, you, you could be interested in that idea only for a day or two. If you're really not into it, you're not going to be able to stick with it for the long haul. You know, um, for this joy book, for example, the best thing about spending all that time writing about joy was that joy was everywhere I looked. Yeah. You know, everything I read had I could see some joy in it. You know, every every time I went to church there, I would see the word joy in like a prayer or a doxology or a hymn that I never noticed before. Mm. Um, And so every, you know, every it it gave me more joy just to focus on the topic (laughs) um, and writing about it and trying to practice it myself first before thinking about how I might publish it. So I would say, you know, definitely focus on the thing that you want to write first. And, you know, because you really you really do have to love it to stay spend so much time. Yeah. And I would add to that that it's important that you find a place, you know, a special place where you write um, Mm. and also to try to write every single day, you know, Mm. even for half an hour or an hour. But all of that um, adds up at the the end. So that's very good advice that you've given there. Mm. Um, So Phoebe, then uh, as we begin to conclude... Uh, this fascinating uh, two-part journey with you into putting joy into practice. Where can our audience hear more from you? Um, you can uh, go to my blog, Being in Community, and that is beingincommunity.com. Um, you can subscribe to an email list there. Um, I also have a Facebook page, Being in Community, um, as well as an author page, and I can be found on those. Um, Twitter, PK Farag, at PK Farag, Instagram, at PK Farag. Um, and also um, in November, on uh, November 17th in the afternoon, uh, Paraclete Press is actually hosting a two-hour online retreat. Uh, that I will be uh, leading. Um, and so uh, that's another, if you w- want to hear more about this topic of putting joy into practice and maybe getting more into depth um, in some of the in some of the practices, um, you could sign up for that retreat. And that'll soon be available. On, uh, registration will soon be available on the, the website of Paraclete Press. That's wonderful. And we, we'll sh- we're going to share more information about how to find Phoebe's blog and how to register for this retreat. Uh, in the show notes so please look out for those we'll be right back to conclude and also a question for you to think about this week and also something to pray about too (music) 
So you can tell from this conversation with Phoebe why her book shot up to the number one bestseller on Amazon in the Christian orthodoxy category. It gives practical advice on how to attain joy using seven practices, along with so much wisdom from the early church. My congratulations to you, Phoebe, on your first published book, and we look forward to many, many more. Thank a question. You so much, oh, you're most <laughs> welcome. <laughs> so, a question Which of these practices leading to joy discussed today resonated the most with you? How will you begin applying it into your daily living? And the prayer. I hope you can pray with me this week for each soul to find joy in its purest form as we discussed in, in these two episodes. Let us pray for the sick, for the brokenhearted, for everyone who is suffering in any way, also for those who are lonely or cannot find joy at this time, that the peace and joy of the Lord Christ fill their hearts. Thank you again to my joyful guest today, Phoebe Farag Mikhail, the author of Putting Joy into Practice, Seven Ways to Lift Your Spirit from the Early Church. It has truly been an honor and a blessing to hear you unravel for us the true meaning of joy. Thank you the so much, Phoebe. <laughs> it's really been a delight and I think a very beneficial advice that many people will enjoy. Thank you. Stay safe and well, and until next week, be inspired by the Holy Spirit. Be sure to tune in next week when His Grace will be joined by Professor Wegi Ishak. This will be part one of a two-part series titled... Professor Ishak, Coptic family man and a visionary technologist. Nader Hanna, the founder of CopticNN.com, will also be asking some interesting questions of Dr. Ishak. Don't miss out on this fascinating conversation with a prominent American Copt over a cup of coffee. To join the conversation, please visit our website, coffeewithbishopsuriel.org. And don't forget, after you listen, you can really help out by rating the show. Thank you for listening to Coffee with Bishop Suriel, a podcast for all things Coptic. To join the conversation, please visit our website, coffeewithbishopsuriel.org. And always remember, the best way to start any morning is with God and a cup of coffee.